Hello, my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. Uh, This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, Minister of the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church, uh, right here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also your Drive Time host every Tuesday and Wednesday. It is really fantastic uh, to be able to share with you uh, once again. Now this week we're following the theme, the Bible, the Church and the Environment. Now of course this uh, week what we have is uh, COP27 uh, is occurring, the United Nations World Environmental Conference is occurring uh, over in Egypt uh, and you're seeing if you're listening to the news uh, reports of uh, this particular meeting. Uh, We're wanting to ask this week, uh, what does the Bible say about the subject of the environment? Now, on Monday, we asked whose responsibility is the environment. Yesterday, uh, we asked, what does Genesis mean when it provides humanity with authority to subdue the earth? Uh, Today, we look at how the Bible explains Explains the increase in natural disasters. Uh, is it all uh, because of a human activity? What we're going to share today is something that you will never hear at the World Environmental Conference over there in Egypt. Please stay tuned. Uh, I believe you're going to really appreciate uh, what it is that we've got to share with you today. Uh, to guide us through these questions, we're joined by our regular Wednesday co-host, and that's uh, Pastor David Butcher. Welcome to you, David. Good afternoon, Gary, and uh, I'd like to give a warm welcome to our listeners wherever you are around Australia or beyond even. Um, it's wonderful to be in this time of year, and um, I'm not sure what weather people are experiencing, but uh, we've had a hot few days and uh, windy today. Spring has certainly hit us big time here, hasn't it? It has, and uh, look, I enjoy the warm weather, but uh, a couple of days of it, I thought it'd be nice to have some wet weather again. Wow, I tell you what, I mean, I I suppose I'm one of those people who gets hit with hay fever, and uh, the last yesterday and today for me has been absolutely miserable because uh, it's the first hay season of uh, fever of the year, and uh, I've had those runny eyes and that uh, tickly, uh, tickly throat and uh, the sneezing, and uh, I'm uh, uh, I'm starting starting to think that uh, hey maybe that uh, that rain that we were having that subdued everything isn't too bad after all. Yeah, look, I'm I'm feeling it with you as well, and uh, so many other people too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I know that this, you know, in Adelaide particularly, this is uh, one of the uh, issues of the uh, of the season, and. Uh, uh, yeah, it's something that I think we do grow accustomed to down here, but it's always nice when the pollen does start to settle uh, back uh, down again. Uh, now, of course, uh, today uh, we do have our World Watch uh, segment. And today, what I'd like to do, David, is to chat about the practice that's gaining ground where uh, memorials to heroes of the past are being torn down and desecrated. Now, on many occasions, this happens for the flimsiest of, of reasons. Here in Australia, it's a constant issue on uh, uh, on Australia Day when uh, statues of James Cook uh, are desecrated. Now, it 
this comes under the title of this uh, subject, critical race theory. Now, of course, this theory assumes that one race, and in this particular case, the Caucasian, often the white race, to be the oppressor simply because they are white. Now, to me, as I as I see that, uh, I I look at that and it raises huge questions in my um, in my mind. And of course, uh, therefore, those who are honoured are not those uh, who have done some of the real standout um, achievements in our society. Uh, it preferable, according to some. To tear down the monuments now, um, David. Uh, one of the things I'm I'm going to just bring you to an article here, but I'm just wondering today. You know, to what extent should we honour those who have flawed characters? Now, look. What I'd like to do is to uh, read you uh, an article that actually came through on the on the wires on uh, through the Religion News Service, and uh, it, it's written from an American perspective. But uh, I think we can understand what uh, the author is actually getting at. Uh, it's actually entitled "If American History Read Like the Bible," and uh, this is the way it goes: If the Bible exposes the flaws of our spiritual forefathers, why should he- American history? cover up the failings of the founders. And uh, this is what the article says. Despite Debates over critical race theory are not just about history. They're also about the future of the country. At their extremes, one side wants to gloss over the evils of the past, while the other extreme wants to rub our noses in it. One side claims to be patriotic, the other argues that at its core the American experiment is corrupt. One side promotes the status quo, the other is calling for revolution. Is a middle position possible? Now that's the uh, the question that uh, uh, is certainly raised in this article. Can we be both sinful and good? There's a natural tendency, says the article, of nations to trumpet their successes and virtues rather than their failures and their vices. And then it makes a, a, a significant statement. There is one nation that did not follow this pattern when looking at its past, and that nation is the nation of ancient Israel. The Bible reports that Israel's past is full of corrupt and foolish kings. Even the best of them, Moses, David and Solomon, were sinners who strayed from the path God set before them. Israel's elites ignored the plight of the poor and got into foolish wars. Uh, Nor were the people always faithful. They too turned away from God and embraced false gods. And when Israel turned away from God and his covenant, it suffered defeats and disasters. The history of biblical Israel is not the story of a great people, but of a great God who remains faithful to his people despite their sins. He constantly calls them to return to the covenant, to return to him. We can learn from the Bible how to look at history. And then it says this, If Abraham, Moses, David and Solomon were sinners, why are we surprised that 
George Washington, this is American, of course, Thomas Jefferson, Franklin Roosevelt, and John Kennedy were also similarly flawed. The Bible can honour Abraham, Moses, David, and Solomon for their achievements, while at the same time noting that their sins and failures. Can we do the same with our historical figures? Can we acknowledge that the original sin of slavery while recognising great progress has been made against racism, while still more needs to be done. In the Bible, we hear not only from historians, but from critics in the prophetic books, from scholars in the wisdom books. A healthy country has a balance between political leaders, critics and scholars. When the politicians dominate, we have authoritarianism. When the false prophets dominate, we have the chaos of fake news. When know-it-all scholars dominate, we have elitism. In the Bible, God calls on Israel to repent and return to principles articulated in his covenant with them. If we looked at American history through a biblical lens, we would see our failings and call to return to the principles of freedom and equality. Now, David, when I I read this, it really did jump out at me because the thing I'm so conscious of is that uh, uh, this article is virtually saying, uh, asking how important it is that we learn from history. You know, critical race theory, tearing down the past in order to uh, paint a picture that uh, gives us today um, an understanding of the present that is actually not all that accurate, uh, is something that I'm only too conscious of. Look, how important do you think it is that we honour those who have gone before. For me, Gary, I think it's really critical. I'm not a person that gets angry. I can get frustrated. But I must say that, um, you know, um, I think back to ISIS in the Middle East when it was at its height, going through parts of Syria and actually destroying, blowing up archaeological discoveries and and famous archaeological finds, destroying yeah. history. And I also remember the Iraq wars with the United States and how there was looting of some of these museums of these archaeological significant artefacts. Mm. And essentially, you know, what ISIS did in blowing up history, Yeah, in one sense, that's exactly what... Uh, the, the Many people today are trying to do by pulling down street signs because of the name of uh, a slave owner and r- pulling down statues. That's what they did in Iraq by getting yeah. rid of the statue of Saddam Hussein. Yeah. Now, we shouldn't glory in in a slave owner. We need to recognize that from where we stand, that that is not the biblical perspective. Mm. That is not what a civilized society does. But to try and... Um, Ex- to to try and eradicate our rewrite our history, yeah. uh, it just sort of does my head in. Because how can you learn from the past if you've rewritten the past and obliterated um, what you don't like? Do you think our young people need to have a solid understanding? Of the past, of history. Absolutely. I mean, surely we... I mean, you go back to numerous historians, and there are some that are more reliable than others. 
and I'm thinking of biblical historians, mm. you know, um, mm. Josephus was uh, someone that wrote many things down, and some um, theologians question his, um, his, some of his facts. Mm. You know, he was evangelistic in some of the figures that he gave. Now, when we want to quote a historian, whether it's a biblical one or, or another historian, we want to know what the truth is. We want to know what the facts are. Mm. So to try and rewrite and expunge certain elements or cover them up or, or, or remove certain people from history or their monuments or street names, let's acknowledge that uh, what they did was wrong even back then, but certainly through our eyes today. Or, or alternatively, they they actually had uh, elements in their character that were less than perfect, and yet the thing I'm conscious of, a lot of the things that were in their character that they were reflecting was something that within their culture was actually quite normative. And, and that's also a very good point. And, and so you're tying it back to the biblical sort of scenario, one of the things that gives us such confidence in, in the veracity of the scriptures, and I'm thinking particularly of the Gospels, is that you see everything in warts and all. Yeah. If you were uh, try, if it was a document that had been written um, non factually, you wouldn't include some of these flaws. You wouldn't include some of the the people and these sorts of things. But yeah. no, what's written in the scripture is an actual telling of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I, and I think we really benefit, you know, I mean, for example, when you turn around, you see, you know, King David called a man after God's own heart throughout most of his life, and yet you find he has actually fell to sexual sin. You, you look at that and you turn around and you say, hey, look, um, it, this isn't something that we glory in, but it's something that we can actually learn from because, of course, David, while he was guilty of sexual sin, he's also the great author of Psalm 51 that, of course, is his prayer of repentance uh, for that particular sin. So not only do we actually see uh, people who are making a, a significant contribution to history, we see what their flaws are and we see... The the appropriate response to those flaws. So that we can learn from. And yes. this is what why Scripture is given, isn't it? So we, it can, it's there to teach, to reprove, to rebuke. Um, and, and, you know, I think of other characters like the Apostle Paul. He withstood Peter to his face. Why? Mm. Because Peter was two-faced, uh, yeah. you know, at one point in time down um, in Galatia. And so it's important that we see the full face not just what we want to do, not just what's politically correct. Mm. And what I liked in this article, Gary, one of the comments, it said, the history of biblical Israel is not the story of a great people, but of a great God who remains faithful to his people despite their sins. Mm. He constantly calls them to return to the covenant, to return to him. Yeah. And I think in, in including um, the light side and the dark side or, or the good and the bad in people, we, we see greater glimpses of God's character. Yeah, yeah. We see the frailty and the fallenness of humanity, mm. but we mm. see a God who is there to pick us up and, and when we confess and repent, who is there to, to restore us. Yeah, and that is something that's actually really, I suppose, missing in our world today. You know, you get critical race theory there. You get the, the demand that, you know, hey, um, you know, we need to do away uh, with a lot of the, uh, you know, the symbols, the history of the past because of the evil that was in it. The assumption, of course, is that today we've it's got perfect. it all together. We've got it all correct. Exactly. And, and yet 
often um, there is a push by people and a view that Scripture and Christianity is so hard line that there is no um, uh, room for movement. There is there is no um, softness, if you like. Mm. And yet, what we see with this this whole sort of wave of, of 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 pushing in this critical race theory is that they're they're so dogmatic, they are so black and white. Yeah. Where's the room for grace? Yeah. Where's the yeah. room for acknowledging uh, wrongs in the past yeah. or the cultural context that they take all that away? Mm. The Word of God has just got so much to teach us, hasn't it? You know, this is the thing I really appreciate about uh, what God has given in the Bible. He hasn't tried to cover up uh, that which is uh, evil like so many are actually trying to do today, but rather he reveals it and gives the appropriate response to dealing with it. And you hit on it before. We're living in a world of continual fake news. And so by expunging and editing out certain things or trying to change the reality doesn't give us a true glimpse of what truth is and what fake news is. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful, that's powerful. Guys, look, let's come to some music. Uh, love uh, love this uh, this particular song. In fact, this is probably my my favourite hymn. Uh, she Reads Truth is the, uh, is the singer. Uh, Great is thy faithfulness. Please, please enjoy.
as great as High Faithfulness. What a beautiful song that uh, that really is. Love, uh, I love that song. You know, it's one of those. Uh, it's one of those uh, traditional hymns of the church that I absolutely appreciate. It is probably my uh, my favourite hymn. I remember it from my from growing up in a uh, in a church. I loved it in those days, and I still love it today. I think the words are so powerful, uh, and of course, uh, bound up as, as they are uh, with uh, with Scripture. Now, of course, folks, today we've got our giveaway book again. Now, our giveaway book for this uh, for this week is Hope When the World Falls Apart. Now, uh, this is written by uh, Dr. Russell Burrell, and this is a real ripper. Uh, this is a real ripper of a book. Uh, look, folks, if you're struggling in uh, in some area... If maybe you're asking some questions, maybe someone's asking you a question about what is going on in this big wide world out there. Uh, look, folks, this is a book that is really worth read it yourself, uh, but feel free to share it with uh, with someone else because it does provide those answers. If there's someone in your family, feel free to request uh, this particular book because I think uh, it uh, it really will change uh, people's thinking and perspective. The book is uh, Hope uh, When the World Falls Apart, and it's written by Dr. Uh, Russell Burrell. It's only a very uh, short book. Now, look, if you'd like that uh, particular book, all you need to do is to send us <coughs> your uh, your uh, text us um, at our drive time number. Now, our drive time number is o four triple eight eight o eight eleven o four triple eight. 80811 and all you need to do is to send the code SA80 no gap between the SA and the 80 just SA uh, 80 four, uh, four digits in a row and uh, uh, that'll go directly through to our robot and uh, our robot we call him Pilgrim He's, uh, he's a wonderful uh, little robot. Uh, he'll make contact with you and uh, get some details off you so that we can get this book to you in the fastest way possible. Uh, the book is Hope uh, That uh, When the World Falls Apart uh, by Dr. Russell Burrell. And that number again, 04888-80811. And the code is SA80. Now, folks, you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary. And today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher. And David's actually the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz, beautiful place to uh, to live. This week we're following the theme, the Bible, the church and the environment. And today we're looking at how the Bible explains the increase in natural disasters. Uh, you know, all this week we've, we've heard that uh, there are... Uh, a significant increase in the number and the intensity of environmental tragedy. Uh, in the uh, uh, the opening of COP27, that's the United Nations uh, Environmental Body, the United Nations Chair uh, made a profound statement. He actually said, this is, we know this is human created, and it can be human fixed. Now, uh, to me, uh, that, that, that raised a few questions in my mind that I thought, hey, you know, maybe the scriptures have got something to, uh, that we can share on this particular subject. Uh, is there any other explanation for the environmental crisis? Now, uh, David, I really like you to actually Help us out on this particular issue. I mean, this is a big one. Um, I think um, around the board, people are noticing that the climate is uh, is knocking around area after area, uh, and yet um, 
what does the scripture say about the environment? I mean, is there some way that, you know, we can explain natural disasters from a biblical perspective? Yeah, look, absolutely, Gary, and a really, really good topic, isn't it? And one of the things that struck me in, in what you just shared from the COP uh, summit there is the fact that uh, it's been said that this is a human problem and that humans can resolve it. Yeah. This is quite clearly and, and understandably because the world, uh, spiritual things are foolishness to those who are perishing, Indeed. the Bible says. And exactly. So, in other words, this statement, it's a human problem, humans can fix it, is human-centric. It is. It, if we made the mess, we can fix the mess. It's very humanistic. I mean, basically every belief we have in our world today seems to have humanity and particularly the individualistic humanity at its very core. We're the problem and yet we can fix it. Now, yeah. that doesn't really make sense. No, no, no. And so, so Gary, uh, I reflect uh, probably more so in the United States and, and maybe some time ago in Australia, but when there was a, you know, a, a hurricane or a... Um, a tsunami or, or any of these sorts of things or a fire or earthquake, the, the tagline was this is an act of... Act of God. A, and insurance companies at a point in time, I don't know if they still do, would call them that. Mm. Now, I struggle with that, right? Yeah. And, and this is a, a really difficult topic, an exciting topic to explore, but a difficult one because there is this mix as we look through Scripture, uh, God sent a flood. Yeah. He sent a worldwide the influence flood. on the, the environment. Exactly. Um, uh, but there are other uh, natural disasters that occur that God, I believe, did not send or does not send. So to simply call everything an act of God, I think, does God an injustice and the devil just wrings his hands with glee. Yeah. That God yeah. is the sender of everything evil. Now, to counter that... I think we need to look at Scripture. And so when Jesus, who is God, came to earth in the form of man, he did not hurt anyone. He came to help. And in Luke 9.56, it says, For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Uh So the very core of God's being, if you like, is one of help, of mercy, of kindness, um, of no pain. Mm. Of love. Uh, many good works. This is John 10.32. Many good works have I shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? This was to the religious leaders. Mm. Mm. Jesus came to rescue, to save, to to embetter life. That's probably not a good word, is it? Or is it not a word? He came to increase life, to give us life more abundantly. John 10.10. Not to remove life. Not to cause harm. And uh, in Matthew 18, verse 14, it says, It is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Mm. So we know that God is love. And yet as Christians, we struggle with this whole concept. Is God behind this? Is he not behind this? And um, I think we can, you know, probably take this um, this whole conversation back to a prior point. Mm-hmm. We know that when um, God created uh, this planet in, Revela- in Genesis chapter 1, it says that everything he made was good. Mm. At the end of everything, every day of creation, everything was good. Mm. Everything was perfect. But then we know that our first parents, when, um, when they uh, were created, some point after their creation, uh, being given free will by God, 
to choose to live in a relationship with him or giving them the exit of that relationship. The exit of the relationship with God was eating from the tree of the good knowledge of good and evil. Mm. Uh, God doesn't constrain or restrict people. He mm-hmm. wants them to be in a loving relationship with him. He wants that communion, but he gives them an out. We have mm. choice. Mm. And so when Adam and Eve um, sinned, there was immediate consequences. You know, God says, in the day that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. In Genesis three seventeen and 18, when God encounters Adam and Eve, they've, they've hidden, they realize they're naked, they now know what fear is. And the beautiful picture is that God comes after them, not with a stick. Mm. He comes, he asks them questions. He knows what they've done. Mm. But he where, come, where are you, Adam? Where are you, Adam? And, and why does he come? He comes to... Let them know what sin is. Mm. Let them know what the consequence is, but to give them a picture of hope. Yeah. And so in Genesis three seventeen and 18, it says, Then to Adam, God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. So what we discover here is that the consequence of Adam and Eve choosing to break their friendship with God, their relationship with God, not only impacted humanity, but it impacted the entire creation. Mm. And this is a critical point. It impacted the entire creation, and um, that was that's sin. Adam and Eve's sin actually um, caused things to start running downhill. That's right. So we can clearly say that um, that it it was a human problem. Well, actually, that is wrong to even say that because if we go back to the very beginning, sin started. In, in the core of a created being, a beautiful angel called Lucifer, right? Yeah. And he brought that to this planet, but our first parents, human parents, certainly chose to sin. Yeah. So we could say that um, humanity is responsible. Ultimately, it's Satan, mm. but certainly our first parents, there's a level of responsibility. They were mm-hmm. tricked, they were deceived, they were scammed, we would say. Mm. But um, it is a, we might say there is a human ele- element to this problem, but when we think of spiritually, Adam and Eve could not save themselves. Romans talks about the first Adam yeah. and what he failed to accomplish and that there needed to be a second Adam mm. to overcome where the first Adam fell. That second Adam is Jesus Christ. Mm. So, yes, humanity has impacted clearly through sin, Mm. Mm. but humans cannot rectify sin and the ravages of sin. And that's that's where really the uh, activity of God is so important. He came in, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave. Uh, You know, he gave a a saviour that was able to save not just humanity, but was going to ultimately see the recreation of all uh, of all the environment. Because what we find, of course, in uh, in Revelation twenty one and twenty two, the last two chapters in the Bible, I love the way you know the first three chapters of the Bible talk about how the environment was ruined through the activity of man, through the sinful activity of man. But in the last two chapters, you get this picture of the uh, restoration 
uh, of uh, all of the earth through the activity of God. Absolutely, 100%. So we see this degradation, this fall, we call it the fall, yeah. uh, where sin entered this world and, and human beings chose to sin. Uh, we see a, a high point at the cross, but we see the ultimate restoration. First three chapters depict perfection, then the fall. And the last three chapters of the Bible give us the complete opposite, the mm, overcoming mm, of sin mm. and the recreation of a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, look, that's, that, that's one. Look, j- j- just, I'm just bringing you to, um, uh, so you would, you would accept that, um, humanity is to some extent responsible for the rundown of this planet. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if Adam and Eve hadn't have sinned, then um, there would have been perfection on this planet. Okay, okay. You know, David, one of the things I'm just uh, uh, really, really conscious of, you know, in in the book of Revelation, there's actually a passage of Scripture that uh, uh, to me is actually quite, quite profound because uh, it's it's Revelation 11 and verse 18. It actually comments on this particular subject. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged. Now, of course, this is talking about the the second coming of of Jesus Christ, uh, and that you should reward those servants and prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, that last comment is going to be a reward. But according to the book of Revelation, when Christ comes, he's going to destroy those that destroy those. That's almost an apportionment of blame uh, to those who have rejected Jesus Christ and the principles of the kingdom as far as the environment is concerned. Look, absolutely. And and so when God um, put Adam and Eve in the garden, he made them managers of the planet to yeah, care for yeah, it, not yeah. to pillage it. And we know that um, humanity has pillaged the planet and there are consequences because of that. Yeah. We have land slippages with deforestation. Uh, when, when we cut down our forests, uh, we do create additional greenhouse gases. A lot of things we are responsible for. What To what extent do you think, uh, for example, just simple consumerism has, uh, has impacted the rundown of the planet? Well, how how frequently do we change uh, mobile phones? <laughs> how frequently do we up, update other technology, our televisions? Yeah. How frequently do we throw away clothes? Uh, how much food do we waste? Uh, how much energy are we consuming? And it goes on and on. So uh, I guess humanity is searching for the next best thing. Humanity is searching for an inner happiness, a completeness, Mm. and they're searching for it in possessions and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's so true, David. You know, I'm so conscious that when, I mean, I know it was a long time ago when I was a little tacker. In fact, it's a long time ago I was a little tacker uh, growing up in my uh, parents' home over there in in Sydney. Uh, But in those days, there wasn't the same level of uh, uh, consumerism, even the uh, the, the takeaway uh, 
uh, environment hadn't yet fully taken over. I, c- I can still remember uh, mum and dad, you know, I mean, you got your milk every morning when the milko came and, uh, you know, you put your glass bottles out to be uh, to be Collected. recycled and uh, he'd leave uh, new uh, glass bottles full of uh, full of milk and that occurred every single morning. I can I can well remember even my my wife when we had our first uh, first child, you know, in those days uh, uh, nappies, you'd actually uh, wash them out and hang them out on the uh, on the line. You know, I I look at these things and I, I say, hey, look, you know, uh, you know, our, our environment, you know, we've really impacted on our environment. We have. So there is hum- humanity can do some things to improve or slow the degradation. Yeah. And we have a responsibility. Yeah. 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 You know, as, as uh, Christians that believe in a return of Jesus Christ and we talk about a soon return of Jesus Christ, we believe in in um uh we believe in end time bible prophecy that this world is coming to an end mm. sometimes we can be accused of it's going to going to pot so to speak it's yeah. it's it's going to be destroyed anyway so let's just not do anything about it let's just sit back yeah because we're going to be rescued from it yeah so i, I think that is a wrong approach we need to care for what god has entrusted to us um otherwise we are you know, we're we're not fulfilling the responsibility that God has gave us. I want to look briefly, Gary, at Romans chapter eight. Mm. In Romans chapter eight, and I think it's around verse nineteen or twenty. Let's look at that. Um, uh, Romans nine is not going to help me, is it? Romans eight, Romans eight, and verse twenty. It says, uh, "We'll start at verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him mm. who is subjected in it, it in hope. Mm. So creation was subjected to futility. This is talking about the natural world. A turmoil yeah. Yeah. is one of the words that can be used there. Yeah. So because of sin... Yeah. Creation itself is in turmoil. Yeah. 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 No, that's so true. And in fact, I, I love, you know, I mean, I think another explanation, you know, Isaiah 51 verse six actually says this, lift up your eyes to the heavens. Don't you love doing that? It was so beautiful last night with that, uh, uh, with that glorious moon and look at the earth beneath uh, for the heavens will vanish away like a smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment. You know, David, when I read that, when I read Isaiah there talking about the fact that the earth is going to grow old like a garment and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. Uh, you know, to me, this really says a great deal to me about what is occurring within the environment at the present time. According to the scriptures, the time is going to come when the earth itself is going to wear out. It's going to grow old like a garment. David, how, how long do you wear a you know a t-shirt before you toss it out? Yeah, look, uh, that <laughs> depends on a few things, right? But but clearly, things don't last as long as they used to, yeah, do they? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I rem- yeah, I mean, we can all tell stories of uh, you know um, grandparents or whatever, or parents making clothes for us, or yeah. the hand me downs, those sorts of things. But yeah, today something's on special. We just buy it. We we don't think anything of it. What you shared there, Gary, um, in Isaiah chapter uh, fifty-one, verse six. Um, 
could be seen the earth is growing old like a garment and those who dwell in it will will in in so like manner uh, experience um death etc mm. and 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 decay um but the positive there, it says that my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will not be abolished. In other words, there is hope. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and what we see in, in Romans 8 verse 22, mm-hmm. it says this, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. This is because of sin. Yeah. God made everything beautiful. He made everything good, everything yeah. functional. Yeah. Yeah. But humanity's sin has caused everything creation to groan but then it says um for uh for we were saved in this hope but hope that is seen is not hope for why does one still hope for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we eagerly wait for it with perseverance so the world is laboring and groaning with birth pangs because of sin creation is yeah but there is hope there is hope, and David, we're going to come to that uh, that hope in just a minute, just after our after our break, because you know that's the thing I think that is so beautiful. I mean, uh, Scripture does actually give us a wonderful solution. It explains why things are winding down as they are right now, uh, and yet it brings us out the other end as well. And that's the thing I, was, I want us to pick up on when we when we come back again. So, folks, let's enjoy. This is Gavin Chatillier, uh as water. Uh, to the thirsty and indeed uh, that's what our God uh, really is. Please enjoy Gavin Chatillier as water to the thirsty. As water to the thirsty as beauty to the eyes as strength that follows weakness as truth instead of lies, as sometime and springtime and summertime to be, so is my Lord, my living Lord, so is my Lord to me. I come in place of clamor.
That was Gavin Chatilio uh, as water to the to the thirsty. I uh, really appreciate uh, uh, had Gavin uh, singing as a guest presenter on a number of occasions. Uh, loved uh, all that he's been able to share. He shares his testimony. It's well worth hearing him if uh, if ever you have that uh, that particular opportunity. Uh, folks, look, our giveaway book again today is Hope uh, When the World Falls Apart. And this is uh, done by uh, uh, Dr. Russell Burrell. It's a short book. It's a book that feel free to, to share it with a, a friend or a mate. Uh, they they will really appreciate it. If people have got questions, if people are concerned, where is this world going? Then, hey, direct them to the Word of God, and this book will certainly help you explain in a really good way. If you'd like to have a, a copy of uh, Hope When the World Falls Apart, all you need to do is to text us here on our drive time number, 04888 80811. You don't have to say anything. Just send us a code SA80. And, uh, SA. Eight zero no gaps, and uh, that'll trigger our robot, and he'll ask you a few questions so that we can get this book to you in the fastest way we uh, we possibly can. You'll love this uh, this particular uh, book. Uh, now you are listening uh, to uh, Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q and A with uh, Pastor Gary, and today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher, and David's the lead pastor of the Seventh Day Adventist Church here in South Oz. And this week we're following the theme: the Bible, the Church, and the Environment. We're giving you the news here that you'll never hear from all those COP27 reports. Today we're looking at how the Bible explains the increase in natural disasters. And the Bible doesn't doesn't say that this won't occur. It says it will occur, but it has a totally different explanation. It's an explanation, I believe, uh, that it's so important that we uh, do actually do actually understand. Now, David, look, uh, before we go any further, there's one question I'd really like to throw to throw at you because uh, uh, this is this is really important. You know, you started off by talking about the act of God. Uh, you know, there are certainly uh, some passages in Scripture that would appear to indicate that, you know, God does, you know, you mentioned, you know, the, the flood, for example, that God does bring. You know, there is, you know, the blessings and the cursings on the mountain uh, in, in the Old Testament, you know, where uh, God appeared to actually bring disaster himself. Does God do that? Look, I think there there are certainly some instances where it certainly appears that way. But God is not a vengeful God. Uh, God is not a rash God. And so with the situation of the flood, uh, we believe there was a 120-year period for for people to repent. We know the story of Nineveh. It was going to be destroyed unless they repented. Mm. And they did repent, and God didn't bring the disaster upon them. We know that God drove out uh, the seven nations, the people groups in Canaan, uh, but he wasn't prepared to do it until their, uh, their sins had reached a fulfillment point, mm. a high point, uh, which was really a low point. Uh, so when we go to the book of Job, we really see, a curtain pulled back mm. of the fact that there is good and evil. Uh, there is a God that is good, that only wants good, and there is Satan that came to destroy. We read in Revelation 12 that um, the devil is going around like a raging lion. Uh, he knows his time is short because he was cast out of heaven. And so he's causing the havoc. He's the one responsible. Mm. And, and so in Job chapter 1, and uh, in verse 8, we have this uh, really godly man that is blameless, that is good. And Satan basically accuses God in Acts 1 of protecting Job 
from being a sugar daddy, if you like, giving him everything he wants, and that's the only reason why uh, Job likes God, because mm. he's on a good wicket, so to speak. Uh, but God, uh, Satan then says, um, says to him, uh, and let's find exactly, uh, he says, you have blessed the work of his hands. This is Satan to God, verse 10 of, of Job 1. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And so then Satan, and this is, sorry, then God, mm. I should say, this is important, he permits Satan Satan to dem- to show his true character. Yeah. And so it says there, um, God says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his body. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And Satan was the one that brought all of this calamity. Mm. God uh, didn't intervene, so to speak. He he permitted, but he was not the cause. Okay. Satan was the cause. And the interesting thing is that's, that Job does not realize this. He goes through and his friends are giving him false theology. You've done some terrible sin, and because of that you are suffering. And you're being punished. And you're being punished from God. Mm. But it wasn't God. That's powerful. That's pow- now. Look, if we actually go to the uh, to the book of the, the book of Revelation again, you find another occasion where he God is commanding angels to hold back the winds of strife. Now, do you just want to comment on that? This is very similar to Job. In Job, we see this curtain being pulled back, where we can see the true uh, the character of Satan. Yeah. We see it most clearly on the cross with what he did to Jesus. That's what he wants to do to every human. But in Revelation, the snippet we had in the Old Testament in Job chapter one, we have again in Revelation seven, and it says, "After these things, this is uh, the John the Revelator. He's in vision. I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind and wind." is a symbol in biblical prophecy of strife. Yes, yes. That the wind should not blow on the earth or or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth and the sea or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. It's almost like God is restraining, holding back, uh, until his people are sealed. Satan is trying to destroy, seeking whom he can devour, and and God is restraining. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, that's, a, that, that's a very beautiful picture when you think about it. It is, it is. Because remember, Jesus came. Jesus is waiting. Uh, mm. Peter tells us this, doesn't he? Yeah. That the day of the Lord will come. If he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he is holding on. He is waiting and waiting and waiting, almost like holding back this tidal wave of evil and destruction that Satan wants to cause. Yeah. Yeah. But as he withdraws, as, 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 as he begins to release that holding on, we are going to see even more calamities, more natural disasters. In Matthew 24, Jesus talks about this. And all of the efforts that uh, humanity is putting into place to restoring the climate is not going to have very much impact. It's not going to change the ultimate outcome. Wow. Because humans cannot fix the problem. And in, in the scriptures, 
what is given to us is that the person who's going to fix the problem is in fact our Lord and Saviour. Jesus is going to come and create a new heaven and a new earth. Mm. So as Christians, we have an obligation to care for the planet. Yeah. But we will not be able to fix the sin problem, which is the root cause of why we're in degradation and why the planet is. And let's face it, David, you know, when the sin problem is with deep within the heart, I have things like envy and covetousness that really are the root drivers of everything of despoiling the earth. But when the Holy Spirit comes into my heart, I have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, faith. You know, I've got those things that result in a total, you know, consumerism at that point starts to break down. It, It does. And so those things, the fruit of the Spirit, they only come about through a change of heart through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So humanity cannot change, can, cannot reverse, uh, cannot, I'll put it this way, cannot restore fully this planet. Mm-hmm. Mm. David, look, our time's almost gone. Let's just bow our heads together in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, I come to you right now. Lord, I want to say thank you for being the God who created. Lord, thank you for the good and the precious and the wonderful gifts that you've given to us. Uh, Lord, thank you for also being the God uh, who came to redeem. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, for being the God who has promised to restore this planet. Uh, Lord, um, we can't do it ourselves. We acknowledge that. We're not powerful enough. Uh, The problem is too entrenched. Lord, we just give our lives across into your authority at this time. Lord, I just pray especially for anyone who may be struggling. Lord, if there's somebody who's struggling, uh, maybe with a with a health problem, maybe their health is breaking down, uh, maybe, Lord, with uh, some financial issue, uh, Lord, maybe with some relationship matter. Uh, Lord, I just want to pray for that individual. Uh, Lord, as their prayer ascends to you, I pray that you would give them the desires of your heart, of their heart. Uh, Lord, we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, friends, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary, Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time PQ&A. Please join us tomorrow when uh, we're going to be asking, if the world is really serious about the environment, should we all become vegetarians? <laughs> now, there's a there's an issue that uh, I think will uh, will will really inspire some some discussion. Uh, if you'd like to give some feedback, feel free to to actually do that. Uh, just you can text us at oh four triple eight eight oh eight eleven. I'd love to have your your feedback. I really look forward uh, to being with you. But until then, please remember, Christ said, "I'm leaving you with a gift: peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give." isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.